Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest, and I'll come back after their conversation to answer a question from one of you. If you have a question you'd like me to get into in our next round of Ask Me Anything, send it to us at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. All right, over to Elise. Megan Watterson is the author of a fascinating book called Mary Magdalene Revealed. While Megan ultimately became a Harvard Divinity School scholar and author, her path there wasn't always so clear. When she was growing up, she realized she wasn't satisfied with the information she was given about religion. In fact, it even made her break out in hives. But she followed her curiosity, which led her on a lifelong journey to seek out more knowledge about someone in particular, Mary Magdalene. Today, we're talking about the intentions of Mary Magdalene's gospel, which was lost for many centuries and then recently found. Her gospel is a kind of love story and dares us to think again about what we thought we knew about the history of religion. In her teachings, Mary wants to remind us that we are fully human and also fully divine. She wants us to recognize that we aren't just our egos and that our true power lies within, and that real growth comes from daring to get still, go inside your heart, and hear your own truth. The terror of the fact that women's bodies replicate the divine in a way that the male body does not has always been a source of immense contention and fear and projection. Okay, let's get to my conversation with Megan Watterson. I can't remember if you emailed me or someone. I can't remember how I saw your book, but it... Was it Justine who reached out? Yeah. She was the one who reached out. Because I, I think, think of, you emailed me. Did I? Maybe. Oh. I can't remember. Someone emailed me and I... Oh, get, yes. No, I originally emailed yeah, yeah. Goop. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, And I was like, this looks really interesting. And I have to say, and this is embarrassing, but I think it's because my mom was elapsed... Catholic and very traumatized right. by growing up Catholic, large Catholic family, right. definitely not the Mary Magdalene teachings. And right. so I have never really, I don't think I've ever read the Bible. Right. I have to say, and I had certain ideas about it, which were probably in line with yours. I think I went to church with my grandmother. And I know the first time you went to church, you said you broke out in high. <laughs> so I, like you, was like, I reject this patriarchal religion. And I grew up, my dad's Jewish. And then I was like, and I reject Judaism for rejecting <laughs> me because my mom's not Jewish. I loved sort of the admission in your book where you say, I'm not a Christian. But I recently came across a quote from the English philosopher and lay theologian G.K. Chesterton that sums up what I've come to believe. Christianity isn't a failure. It just hasn't been tried yet. 
So like learning about Mary Magdalene through you, and now I've gone into like a Mary Magdalene black hole. <laughs> My husband's like, what's happening? I know. Because I recently started reengaging with Judaism too. And he's like, what? He also grew up like in going to a Jesuit school. He's like, hold the phone like before we get into religion. But will you sort of like explain your path? I know you went to divinity school, seminary, but you still claim you're not a Christian. Yes, I, I, because I think you, you really have to have that sense of community and that sense of being able to practice what's authentic to you, what's, right. what's really in your heart, so that when you show up at church or you're reading the Bible, for example, you don't break out into hives. You know, that to me was an indication of the body doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. The body doesn't lie. And I just, I didn't, that it wasn't what was true for me, you mm-hmm. know, inside me. And so I, and I haven't found that yet. You know, I haven't found that sense of that integrity where mm-hmm. what's in my heart is being practiced outside of me. Yeah, but but I like this idea. I think you explain like you sort of pursued religion as a path in part because you wanted to understand what happened. Yeah. Because <laughs> listen, we make up half the population. So yeah. there's no way. There's no way. And if Christ was, you know, the phenomenal, you know, incarnation of love that one would hope he was, I just couldn't imagine. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. So he spoke with everyone who was considered outcasts and all these forbidden people, but then he excludes all of those people from being able to have a part and a say and a voice in the church. That didn't make any sense to me. So can you give us a sort of brief history lesson on the Gospel of Mary, yes. its discovery, yes. and sort of how how it reconfigures our perception of her as a whore? <laughs> that word is just so, it's just so aggressive, isn't it? <laughs> So uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, uh, we have three sort of fragments of it. Unfortunately, it was, parts of it were tampered with before it was saved. What happened was, and this is the Christianity we haven't tried yet, what happened was is that the formation of Christianity that we know now, or for example, the Catholicism you experienced growing up as a little girl, that was created in the fourth century. And it began with the Council of Nicaea. And Constantine was like, okay, let's take this radical, forbidden religion. It was was basically anyone who was a Christian before the fourth century, you were killed Mm -hmm. if you said you were a Christian. So, um, you know, someone like Thecla, whose story is also not included in the Bible, but the Acts of Paul and Thecla date all the way back to 70 AD, she was several times almost put to death because of being a Christian, same with Perpetua. You know, so these are examples of early Christian female leaders in in the church. So it's not like Mary Magdalene was sort of like this unicorn among horses. You know, mm-hmm. she there there's a precedence for women within the early church and their leadership and authority. So what happened was uh, Emperor Constantine wanted to take this really subversive and radical religion, which 
pretty much turned the Roman hierarchy on its head and says, you know, the least is the greatest and the greatest is the least. Like we are all equal because we contain ultimately this connection to God, love, the universe, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the ultimate, we contain it within us. So it renders us all equal. And, you know, that's just not something the emperor <laughs> wants to institutionalize within the religion because that would that would mess with his power. Right. So it was there was a taming down of that form of Christianity that early that existed before the fourth century. There was a taming down of it with a whole bunch of, you know, men, <laughs> essentially, deciding that men, there would be a, an exclusively male transmission, apostolic transmission, going from the male apostles, you know, to all down the line to those, you know, cardinals in red and, you know, mm-hmm. the, and the pope, like the the whole idea that a pope ass couldn't exist, all of that began in the fourth century. And so all of the, all of the Christian scripture that up until that point, it's just as holy, sacred, you know, phenomenal as anything that was then codified in in the Bible, which is pretty much what you what you'll get now, you know, at a hotel mm-hmm. by the by the side of the bed. It's really a story that says or, or gives this idea that God is the Father mm-hmm. is is male, and and so it gives this a sense of rightness that only men then will speak on behalf of God the Father and. Christ is God's only son. And so, you know, it sort of shuts the door on, on a lot of, of, what, of what that earliest form of Christianity was trying to practice and, and trying to say, you know, which was that even those of us that women had as, about as much rights as a slave, you know, mm-hmm. within the Roman hierarchy. And, you know, that earliest form of Christianity was saying, there's a soul within that body that's being judged and being limited and and being oppressed. There's a soul within that body that is free right, and cannot be limited and cannot be bound and cannot be judged by the external world. And so it it really leveled that that whole idea that power exists outside of us, mm-hmm. this earliest form of Christianity, which Mary's gospel was a part of us, was a part of, said powers within us. Right. And that, so that all was, there was like four texts, right, that were kicked out and then Right. So the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was among one of the ones that was not included in the formation of the, because, you know, if you go into her gospel, it's saying we can receive a vision from within, you mm-hmm. know, that and that the heart is the true treasure and that true power resides within. Right. And how, how can you create, you know, a an institution where you can control, you know, certain ideas about Christ if people are also receiving a message of what or who Christ might have been from within them. Right. And so that was, so the, I, so it wasn't part of the, just to like get the history down. So there yeah. were three, three scrolls that were discovered that monks buried in Egypt. Right. And then right. the Gospel of Mary was found like in a Turkish flea market or something. <laughs> in Cairo. In yeah. Cairo. In an antiquities market. Yeah. So so basically an edict went out when the formation of the Bible was codified in the fourth century. An edict went out to destroy all these other gospels, including Mary's gospel. And 
Fortunately, there were these rebellious monks that wouldn't do it. They refused to do it. And so they buried them instead. So two of the copies of the Gospel of Mary, all found in Egypt along the Nile, but two were buried and one was found in an urn in a cave. Mm. But a German scholar found one of the most complete ones that we have of Mary's Gospel in an antiquities market in Cairo in the late 1800s, but it wasn't published until 1955, which is very fascinating. I I think it was difficult on so many levels to integrate all that this gospel implicates. Right. And, you know, this this idea that sort of the status quo of Christianity, as you said, not that it's been necessarily a lie, but that it's been put through a very specific filter, right? Exactly. And interpreted in such a way as to cast her. So it's sort of the gospel of Mary and and people like you or Cynthia Bourgeau or uh, Karen King like believe that not only was Mary not a whore, she was likely Christ's wife. Yeah, the the word in Greek is kononos, which, you know, to translate directly is companion. Right. And and we know from from other mystics like Rumi and Shams, you know, companion doesn't necessarily imply or mean marriage or sex or any of mm-hmm. you know. We we can't prove that. Right. We we there's there's no way to know that she was definitely unique. Mm-hmm. Their relationship was extraordinary. Right. And so even if you put aside like the physical companionship, from what I inferred from reading you and Cynthia is that she was she she was there obviously to witness she was at his burial and then also to witness the resurrection the resurrection and that she was apprehending him almost in like a mediumship way right she she was the one like I, it it always in sense, literally, I like. I feel like I go up in flames every time I I hear an Easter sermon, and they just kind of downplay the whole. Oh, and Mary Magdalene's there at the tomb. Right, <laughs> she's the one who can see him. Right, he rises to he resurrects to her. Right, <laughs> I know. And then it's just like seen exactly through this lens that she was no more significant than anyone else, and yet. These other texts that were excluded say she is so w- one of them is the Gospel of Philip and and that gospel says Mary of Magdala is the Canonos of Christ, so is the partner, is the companion. Mm-hmm. And he often kissed her on the mouth. And so there's this sense of partnership mm-hmm. equals. Mm-hmm. You know, that that a part of his teachings, his ministry is completed through her and with her because of her. Right. And it also, there's also an inference that, you know, they talk about her as having, I think she becomes like in the way that it's interpreted, they turn her into a whore, right? Right. Because they they say that she has overcome the seven demons, which can also be interpreted as the fact that she has fully transformed, right? right? Seven is the most, I mean, throughout Every religious tradition the world over, seven is the, that it's like the template of mm-hmm. what we have to do as human beings to be able to remember that we are also a soul, right? We're not just this messy, <laughs> you know, crazy ego. And in Mary's gospel, they're referred to as powers. They're just powers. They're not demons, you know, they're not, they're, it, it's like 
when you read through them in her gospel, it's like the ing reading the ingredients label of what it means to be human. You know, here are the seven, <laughs> here are the seven climates, as Cynthia Bourgeau refers to them, which I love, right? Because right? there's no judgment in like climates or powers. These are the powers that of the ego that we have to learn how to recognize in order to not live from them. We'll get back to Megan Watterson in just a second. One of the principles that guides how the fashion team at Goop designs our clothing line is the idea of having fewer, beautifully made things that last for seasons. They're most interested in the kind of high-quality pieces that you can live in and love for a long time. This also applies to workout clothing, and Sweaty Buddy's power leggings live up to that standard. 20 years ago, Sweaty Buddy was created in London and has been shaping the activewear market ever since. They believe in using the highest quality, most flattering materials. Sweaty Buddy power leggings are engineered to be high performance and to work for every activity level, whether that's a morning run, Pilates, or chasing your kids around. Their leggings sculpt your legs almost like a second skin. They have convenient side and back pockets and they're sweat wicking. The fabric is stretchy yet supportive and perhaps most importantly, if I'm honest, super flattering. The high waist also stays up, so I don't find myself pulling them up in the middle of class at Tracy Anderson. Sweaty Buddy Power Leggings are available in multiple colors and prints at sweatybuddy.com goop. And right now, you can get 20% off your order by using code goop. Here at Goop, sex is one of our favorite topics to talk about. On this podcast and over on the Goop site, we spend a lot of time asking questions and thinking about women's sexuality. There's still so much shame around sexuality, particularly for women, when it really is one of our greatest life forces. From talking to many women and therapists, doctors, and sexuality educators, we've seen that there are so many ways to express our sexuality. And for some, lingerie is a part of that, even if no one else is going to see it. Fleur de Mall, founded by Jennifer Zuccarini, is a woman's lingerie and ready-to-wear brand that has been stocked in the Goop sex shop forever. Jennifer's mission is to support a woman's strength, confidence, and sexuality with fiercely feminine lingerie and clothing. She believes in celebrating the art of dressing up and undressing. Each Fleur de Mall piece is beautiful. They're made with high-quality, luxurious fabrics like French Lever's lace and silk, and the brand designs everything from silk tuxedo pants to slinky dresses, one-piece bathing suits, and bras. To shop it all and get 15% off site-wide, head to fleurdemall.com and use Fleur Loves Goop. That's F-L-E-U-R-L-O-V-E-S-G-O-O-P. Okay, let's get back to my chat with Megan Watterson. Can you take us through them? I know the seventh is anger. Yeah. Because that was interesting. Yeah. But do you, can you sort of run us through what they are? It's very bizarre because I always forget them. I've been writing, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's really, really bizarre, but I can't, well, and also the way that they're <laughs> spoken of in Mary's gospel are, you know, the enslavement of mm -hmm. the body is one of them. So it's ignorance and darkness. And they're later translated into the seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're slightly different, like the compulsion to rage, which is anger, becomes anger or lust and sloth. You know, they're mm -hmm. like, like the seven deadly sins get translated 
from the seven powers. So the one that turns into gluttony is simply the enslavement to the physical body, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's like thinking we are just this body and mm-hmm. forgetting that we are also a soul. Right. And and so then, you know, only only diving into everything that this body craves and really not listening to the soul that right. that may inform the body in a very different way than than the ego and that power, that specific power. But what ended up happening was those seven demons that Pope Gregory projects really as well, that must mean Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And that was a, a misogynist assumption he made. And But also it had an agenda, mm-hmm. right? Because if, so this this is in the 6th century, and it's a famous homily that, that he delivered, uh, homily 33, where he said the faithful are to understand Mary Magdalene as the penitent prostitute. And the idea was that she sinned much and was forgiven much. And the agenda to it was to discredit women's voices and leadership within this new formed church, Mm -hmm. right? Because it had only been in existence since the fourth century, so a couple hundred years. And it... directed everyone's attention away from her teachings and from the prominence that, like, you can't dispel and hide the prominence, even with the Gospels that were included, because she is the one who is the first to witness Christ when he resurrects. Mm -hmm. So they had to do something with the prominence of her existence in the story. And this was a way to distract us from the way that her spiritual authority seems to implicate a an equality mm-hmm. and and instead focus on her sexuality right. right and and her being sinful and sex being sinful and women holding the corner you know right. in, th- in terms of sin and so it was an absolute fiction and and it took off like wildfire of course and has created shame and this sense of women being less than men for hundreds and hundreds of years within the Christian tradition. The Catholic Church formally apologized. Uh, I think it was 1969. There was like a written formal apology for basically calling Mary Magdalene a whore, you know, for 1,400 years. And then Pope Francis recently, it was called the Rehabilitation of Mary Magdalene, which just makes me want to punch something. But it basically, he made her the apostles to the apostles officially. She's no longer the penitent prostitute. Mm, she, she is the first apostle. Well, I've named her the first <laughs> apostle. She's actually the apostle to the apostle is a really fancy way of saying like mascot apostle. She's not actually an apostle. But he made her an apostle to the apostle because without her having witnessed the resurrection, they wouldn't have been able to become apostles. So at least Pope Francis is recognizing her her significance, but she's still not considered an official apostle. Yeah. It's interesting to read it having no background in religion, and I'm sure this is this whole conversation I know is deeply triggering to many yeah. Christians yes. who feel like this is not yes. their 
Christianity. Right. But in some ways, it's an amazing metaphor, sort of this, this, the journey of these gospels and their rediscovery, because it seems like it paints a picture of sort of what Mary is also teaching, which is like peeling away all the story, right? And the the ego ego and all the projections. Exactly. And to reveal what's true, right? Like the, the eye of the heart. Right. And I also love this idea, which squares this, this version of Christianity with Mary sort of at the center as well, squares so beautifully with every other religion, mm. right? Which is this idea that it is within us, right? Like the divine, the divine spark lives in our own in our hearts, and that Christ wasn't saying, "I'm here and you all are here." He was saying, "I've walked the path, and you can walk it with exactly. me." Exactly, exactly. I am. I am what you are. Also, right. was the essential message. Like here, here is what what it means to be fully human. In the Gospel of Mary, it's referred to as anthropos, which is fully human and fully divine. So it's recognizing that we're not just this ego. We have to be an ego. I would show up naked today mm-hmm. if I didn't have an ego. Like, we, we need the ego. However, we are also, we're not just fully human, we're also fully divine. We're both. Mm-hmm. And we're meant to be both. That's the whole point. And Mary's gospel relates this process that she went through that Cynthia Bourgeau believes in her studies, and I do as well, that Christ led her through mm-hmm. as an example. So she w- underwent the same process that he went through to fully remember his soul while human to become the anthropos, the, the, the true, the child of true humanity is how it's translated in her gospel. But this is what we all are. Right. It's not like it was one and done. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was that here is the here's the invitation. Mm-hmm. Here's the offering. And there's so many different religious traditions that work this in different ways with different words and different paths, but ultimately it's to remember. Mm-hmm. It's to remember that we are also this soul. Where did this aversion to sort of our meat jacket bodies come from and <laughs> sex and like where, where, why the shame and when did that start? I mean, I would say it was institutionalized in the sixth century. Right. And it, you know, went there, it went through different periods where, you know, it, it ultimately culminated in the witch hunts, you know, where, where women were so demonized that just any kind of healing power, any kind of power at all, you know, of of really connecting to what we all have the potential to connect, to connect to was so terrifying and so dangerous that, you know, I mean, we don't even know how many women were killed during those centuries and in, in many different countries. But I, that, I would say, was the culmination of it, the terror of the fact that women's bodies replicate the divine in a way that mm-hmm. the male body does not has always been a source of immense contention and fear and projection. And instead of, you know, this this wonder and this awe, and I think that aspect of Mary being Christ's partner is so profound because, you know, she's in her icon, she's often pointing at the egg, Mm. And, uh, you know, that to me is the most ancient symbol of the divine feminine, right? Mm -hmm. Because with an egg, 
life emerges from within. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the entire message. But every sex comes from the egg, right? Right. So it's not a male female thing, and and it's almost as if Mary embodying Christ's teaching to such an extent that she became the teaching herself in the female body. That was the other half of the message that that we couldn't receive back then. It was just it was too much and. Hopefully, I mean it's it's still too much now, but but hopefully as you were saying, there there could be a sense of an evolution of you know, why are we finding these texts now, these texts that were excluded and destroyed mm-hmm. in in the 4th century, we're find we're literally unearthing them, right. you know? We're we're finding them buried and the 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 message is that you know, life comes from within, you know, this has been something we have feared and right. we have demonized. And, but it's really about taking responsibility. Right. And that the power is not outside of us. It's within us. That there is sort of, yeah, no judgment, no sin. It's within us. I mean, that's the first, well, the first part of the scripture that that has been recovered in Mary Magdalene's gospel is there's no such thing as sin. <laughs> right? It's a remarkable. <laughs> Which just is like a slap. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, you know, it is the perfect metaphor for sort of how we live our lives. And I do feel like that's changing. I think that the status quo is shifting with this idea, like until, I mean, the Obviously, it predates the internet, but I feel like there's this been this sort of for so long it was top down, right? Like yeah. we listen to these people of authority yeah. and let them pass judgment on us and right. tell us how to be and what's appropriate right. and how to act. And now, you know, social media, the internet, access to information, you're seeing it flip, right? right. People are deciding, like starting to listen to themselves, right. tap into their own intuition. Right, it's a a decentralization of power. There's there's really this understanding that no one outside of me is going to save me. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or cure me or heal me. Like it's it's it comes in so, so many ways from within. Right. Or that's the ultimate, right? Like right. get out of the way. Get out of your own way and your body can heal itself. Right. Right. Are and you- and the truest teachers are the ones that point us back to our own power and to our own truth. And to what we might be able to hear is actually right for us. Right. No, it's it's stunning. So Mary la- ended up in France, right, where she was saved by the Druids. Is that yes. what people b- that's, believe? That's a that's a legend that I, that I wanted to follow because I felt compelled to go there several several times, which was bizarre for a Midwesterner raised as a feminist <laughs> <laughs> to feel like compelled to have to go to where Mary Magdalene's. Legend starts up in the south of France in this little seaside village called Saint Marie de la Mer, and there, there, one legend says that she had a daughter, Sarah, and that this was the you know child of Christ, and that they were being persecuted by the Romans, and so after Christ's crucifixion, and so she was, she ministered there, supposedly, there are a lot of people in the South, I mean, so, that legend is so real, it's, it's like, you really can't, you, you really can't 
indicate that it might be otherwise when you're, I mean, it's, it's sacred. It's really sacred that she was there. Then there is this cave that's in this mountain that's called St. Bohm. It's the, the holy mountain. And I guess when the persecution got worse, supposedly Lazarus was behead, beheaded in Marseille, ancient Marseille. And so Mary Magdalene went up to this mountain where the Druids were and they they protected her and and she there's these caves in this mountain it's absolutely unbelievable it's so so gorgeous there's a a cave that was created there was a a Hesychus John Cassian who came to that area and wanted to consecrate it and so they named it the holy mountain and they basically created it's like a church within a cave that mm-hmm. has stained glass and everything and there's these unbelievable marble statues of Mary Magdalene in this in this cave i mean and there's pews and i mean it's it's unbelievable it's freezing bring a sweater but so <laughs> i i had to go up there like i i mean i don't know if you've ever experienced that you know it's like you can't explain it i mean my midwestern feminist mom was like what I mean, I don't understand. You know, it just was like, why do you have to do this? And it's something that was so, it's it's unsayable. Like, you can't justify or explain it. You just know you have to go and you have to do this thing. And that, that was that calling and that impulse that I followed. And I went there and it was just absolutely unbelievable. But right before I was going to go to that cave, because these things happen, it's just so incredible, I met a woman through Instagram, which also never happens to me, but she was wearing a red thread, and she lived in Eex, which is right near where then you can go and get to the cave and everything. And I I met with her just to talk about what her experience, she was living down near Mary Magdalene's cathedral is in this town called St. Maximum La St. Baume, and they supposedly have her skull. So... She was this this woman who I call Rose in the book. She was going to take me to first the the cathedral, and then the next day I was going to go up to this cave, you know, that I'd been wanting to 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 go to and to see for like two decades. So I was so excited, and then she said, "Oh, but you have to make sure you find the cave of eggs." Mm. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and she showed me a picture, and it literally is a stone Giorgio O'Keefe. You know, it's it's like the most vulvic, like, <laughs> opening. I'd never seen anything. I was like, is this for real? Like, I couldn't even believe it was real and hadn't been, like, carved by some. But it's like this giant stone vagina. And she said, this is the Cave of Eggs. And, you know, not a lot of people know about this, but it's it's a it's a place that's known by by locals as having been the cave where Mary Magdalene meditated. I was like, oh. So, so I set off completely unprepared. You know, I, I went to the church cave, and that was incredible and amazing. And then I set off to go find this Gratozov, uh, the cave of eggs. And that was just something that was, it, 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 it was so silent and beautiful and ancient. And it, there was almost like a, this sense of encountering the actual figure of Mary, like the actual person herself. So not just, you know, when you, when you research a religious and spiritual 
figure like Mary Magdalene, it's very hard not to begin, you know, to make her, as you were saying, like up there, out there, like right. beyond. And that experience of going into the Cave of Eggs, and there, there are actually these, you know, yonic, egg-like indentations all over the inside of the cave. I mean, I'm getting chills just talking about it. But in that moment, I realized I had been doing the very thing that her gospel and her teachings say not to do. I'd been doing that to her. You'd been deifying her. Yeah, I'd been making her out to be something else other than what I could ever experience or understand. And so in a way, it was the most sacred, but also the most humbling moment, you know, just just recognizing that, you know, there is no there. Like there mm-hmm. is no like other beyond. It's it, it's it's right here. And it was it was incredibly it was incredibly profound. So who do you think that she was? I think she was on a very real level, she was meant to complete Christ. I, I do think that their teachings were meant to be in tandem, you know, mm-hmm. that that in a very real way, her embodiment of his teachings, I think it was it was meant to be the other half of the story where she was symbolic of all of humanity, especially since the female, of course, at that time, which is really important to understand, was considered low, <laughs> right. you know? And this was what the other disciples... Peter, in particular, couldn't believe. Like, how could Christ give Mary, a woman, these secret teachings that he didn't give to us? Right. And it's within her gospel, at the end of her gospel, after she, he he's the one who asks her, like, tell us the things that you know that we don't because you have heard them. And she says, I will teach you about what is hidden from you. And that, that's the beginning of her gospel. I will teach you about what is hidden from you. And then at the end, Peter's like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't believe her. And, but the reason he doesn't believe her is because she's a woman. Like, how could Christ choose Mary, a woman, to give these secret teachings to? And Levi comes to her defense and says, if the Savior considered her worthy... Who are, who are we to disregard her? And that, that word worth, just when I first came across that, it just hit me because haven't all women throughout all time <laughs> been dealing with that sense of worth, sense of self-worth? Like, and, you know, so I, I think that there was a profound teaching in the fact that Christ did choose Mary, mm-hmm. a woman, because he, in that, he is saying she is worthy, as we all are. But she was considered lowly, and he is saying, no, she is not. We are, we are all worthy. And, but they couldn't get it. You know, they didn't get it. And I, I think that that, that message of, of really understanding that we, we are all worthy is a part of what we're beginning to come into. And, you know, the, the secret teaching that she gives to them is that she could receive, she could see, you, you know, the spiritual eye of the heart, the, the, the new as it is in Greek, N-O-U-S. That idea is that we each contain the capacity to be able to have a dialogue, like a direct connection to what is true. 
and ultimate, but from within us. So that that message, I, I really think that she was meant to be the, the embodiment of the most important teaching that Christ had to give us, that we are all worthy and that we contain, you know, this great big unsayable love inside of us. So do you... Do you believe in God? Like, do you believe, or is it like some sort of universal life force or what, so, like, what is your belief? So as you know, I broke out in hives around the whole idea of God, the father, you know, the son and the, and I was like, I mean, the, with the Holy Spirit, I just, I understood the idea of, you know, I get chills when everything, when, when something is like really true or sacred mm-hmm. um, or like freaky, <laughs> you know, like uncanny. I get chills. That's what I think of the Holy Spirit. But I'm like, there's no way that's the whole story. That doesn't make any sense to me. And the idea of anthropomorphizing God as just the Father is, to me, even as a little girl, was incredibly dangerous and irresponsible. Mm-hmm. That just didn't make any sense to me and justified the denigration and the, treat- the mistreatment of women all over the world. To, to say that God's a father and a father only. That to me just was wonky and incomplete. And so when I came across Mary's gospel, it really did feel like finding a tradition that runs through my veins that's really actually sort of written already mm-hmm. within me because God is referred to as simply as the good, capital G. And it was like when I read that, everything in me calmed down. You know, when, when I'm in a service and everyone's saying, God, the Father, God, the Father, I have like, you know, my hackles up. I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. And the body never lies. I mean, my whole body is just, I want to run. I want to scream. It just, I'm so uncomfortable. And when I came across, God is good. It just, everything in my body, it was like honey just running through my system. That I could understand. And that is just, it's all it's pervasive, it's inclusive, it's, you know, so God as the good, and and then we are that good mm-hmm. also. We have to mine through the humanity within us in order to remember that good. That, that to me just makes so much, and it includes everyone, you know, everyone, right. everyone, whoever, uh, you know, everyone. Just that, that to me makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no. And it's, it's interesting to me when religion isn't inclusive, like it feels, <laughs> it feels so strange, right? That's what I mean. My whole body is like, where am I? Like, what, are, wait, like what, what's actually happening here? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that there will continue, that religion, even though it's been sort of solidly fixed, for so long. I mean, I know that there now there's this rehabilitation movement, which upsets you in some ways, or the idea that oh, she would need oh. to be rehabilitated. But do you <laughs> see an uh, evolution? Do you think there could be a Pope S? Oh, I would, that would be so amazing. Well, there was. There was Pope Joan. But yeah, but no, she was killed. <laughs> when they found out she was a woman, she was just a wonderful, wonderful. I believe that. I, I want to hope that. I, I think that in in every moment, wh- whenever I can return to my heart and return to that understanding that that we are ultimately 
this great big unsayable love inside of us. Every time I do that, I feel like it also creates this possibility for other people to do that. Mm-hmm. And then when you encounter anything that isn't that, it becomes intolerable. It becomes, you have to say something. You can't just be in situations where it's almost but not quite right, you mm-hmm. know? So you, you, it becomes unbearable to sit through a service where a certain portion of the population is being judged and being called, you know, sinful or you, you can't, you cannot tolerate, tolerate it because it's not the truth. And you have to speak the truth. Right. You have to. You can't. It's an injustice that you cannot. So I feel like it really starts within. It starts with those personal, intimate, you know, that that ultimately was what made Mary's gospel so incendiary, was that it talks about Mary having this very intimate, ancient dialogue with Christ inside her own heart. Right. That's like, wah! So... I think it starts there, though, with each of us daring. I mean, that sounds really simple and like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go in my heart. It's terrifying. I mean, it's Joan of Arc. It's like, armor up. Right. It's terrifying to get still and go go inside your heart and actually hear the truth. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. And and it's what each of us needs to do. And I think the more that, that we each do that, you know, the injustice of treating other people as if they are not that yeah. becomes intolerable. You, you have to say something. You cannot be silent in the face of that. That to me is God, that practice of that. Mic drop. Is it mainstreaming in the sense that like children who are raised in the faith are now much more aware of the gospel of Mary? Like, is it, is this something that exists sort of in the, still in the margins or... Yeah. Because it's strange to me. It's like, too, like, Jesus was a Jew, right? Like, he would have been married. Right. Like... Oh, absolutely. That that whole idea of of him being chaste, that didn't start happening until after the fourth century. Yeah. And and that was in tandem with, you know, the more and more chaste Christ got, the more, you know, whorish... Mary Magdalene got. So yeah. there was this dichotomy that was, you know, this this idea that was set up that that he had nothing to do with the body. Right. But there there's this saying that Jean-Yves Leloup, who's one of the translators of the Gospel of Mary, what he always says is, is that there's this saying that that which isn't experienced or lived is not redeemed. So of course he would have lived the totality of his humanity. Of course he would have been a sexual being. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to transform it. Right. And the human experience is a gift. Like that's, It's the whole point. Yeah. It's the whole <laughs> point. <laughs> it's not something we want to have to endure or transcend or, you know, bypass. The whole point is being human. And and that's one of the most liberating, I think, messages for me personally in Mary's gospel was that we're, we're supposed to get angry. We're yeah. supposed to be in- ignorant. We're supposed to, like, fall through these periods of darkness and depression. It's the whole point. Right. But the, the practice, the opportunity, the chance that we have in being human is to keep letting love reach where it hasn't been before. Right. Right? And love doesn't seem to me like a, it's a very good mental exercise, right? Like love is an embodied experience. Right. 
Exactly. It's not something that, that I, I'm not talking about, you know, someone who shows up in my life when I'm depressed, who shows me. This is, this is within us. You know, we fall into one of these climates, these seven, you know, states or powers of being. And the, the exercise, the practice is that when you're, because when you're depressed or, or when you are feeling, okay, let's take rage. You mm-hmm. know, when you are completely livid, that's all you are, you know, like you are in it. And unfortunately, sometimes without practice, without awareness, what we do is then we act from it. Mm-hmm. We act from that anger because we believe we are that anger. We are so trapped within that egoic state that we act from it. And what Mary's gospel is saying, we have the potential to there's there's no sin there's no wrong in being angry we're meant to be I'm angry oh my god so many times all throughout the day right by things that I see but the point the practice is is to feel it experience that anger and remember mm-hmm. I am also a soul and understand where it's coming from right, right? because and then we bring love to that place and um, there's this passage from. A Course in Miracles that says, the holiest place on earth is where an ancient hatred has become a present love. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me explains what that practice that Mary's Gospel is talking about. It's like this integration. It's, it's going to these places within us that, that we think are so lowly and unworthy and horrid, you know, and, and like we don't want anyone else to see, like Princess Fiona, you know, like mm-hmm. she, she doesn't want Shrek to see her, her hot ogre self, you know, and she's ashamed of it and she keeps it hidden. And, all. and it's like this, this practice is going to those places that we think are ogreish within us and bringing love there. Right. And all of the ogreish parts are all of those things that make us human, right? Like right. that's the full spectrum of and, the seven and deadly sins. And they're the opportunity. Yeah. They're the opportunity. What would love be if we didn't have things to practice love on? Right. What would love be? I mean, it's, it's, it's been so misrepresented as just rainbows and butterflies and kittens playing with, you know, little pools of thread. It's, it's not – love is fierce. Love is the hardest, best work we can ever do. It takes sweat and, you know, it's, it's intense. And, but it is – what we're here for, and it is what changes everything. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Megan Watterson. Make sure to pick up a copy of her book, Mary Magdalene Revealed, out now. I hope you like it. Now, over to GP for today's AMA. Do you really like exfoliating that much? What's your routine, asks Kelly. Yes, Kelly, I'm afraid I actually do like exfoliating that much. I am an everyday exfoliator. And my routine is, you know, it it, it really depends on the day and where I am. I genuinely always use a goop exfoliant facial, either the instant facial or the new microderm exfoliating, which is really incredible. That's been my go-to as of late. So even though, you know, it says on the package just to do it 
a couple times a week. I always do that in the bath at night. And then on top of that, once a week, I use our, our Goop Glow Peel Pads, which are just amazing and kind of exfoliate in a different way, really bring like a suppleness and a dewiness to the skin. Thank you, GP. If you have your own question you want GP to answer, drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back next week for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.